Welcome to Random Assignment, everyone. The only program hosted by the great, both the great Corey DeAngelis and Bob Bowden from, from American Federation for Children and Choice Media. Thanks for joining us. Please share, like, and retweet all that stuff. How are you doing, Corey? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. I think You already had this really nice setup, didn't you, last time? Or did you tweak it a little bit? A little bit of tweaks. So I have the clock in now. It's actually, I kind of wanted, in oh. case people thought like it was a, there you go. In case people thought it was a green screen, in other words. I mean, oh, I guess you could do a, a super complicated green screen with a live video or something that has an accurate clock when a show is live. <laughs> you could try to do that, I suppose. But nevertheless, this is the, there it it's is. It's the actual it's time. actually the correct time. Yes. Yeah, so anyway. But you have an American flag behind you, Bob. How dare you? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in so that we can see that. I mean, I think the flag is just puts me this far away from being canceled by big tech, uh -oh. right? Like uh -oh. I'm toying with uh, danger here, right? <laughs> well, there was some dangerous uh, back and forth between parents and school board members. I've seen this past week. I think there was one like last night that was really crazy that I shared on my Twitter, but you sent me some videos from other places all across the country as well. So there's, there seems to be a, uh, just this backlash from parents. Um, what, one, one of the backlashes that we've seen was the whole school, the fight to reopen the schools, but we're also seeing backlash from what's being taught in the classroom and parents are really upset about it. And I think some of these videos kind of show that sometimes the school board doesn't, doesn't treat you all that fairly and doesn't treat you like a, a peer or an equal. Yeah. It certainly, it's certainly don't treat you like the customer that you should be. There seems like there's something happening with respect to parents' awareness of their own role in their children's education. And it's at school board meetings, as I guess one of the many places it's happening, but we're seeing it on video. Most of these school boards these days, of course, have public video. They have cameras rolling at the lecterns or, or microphones where these parents are stepping up. And so it's also public information. It's a government open meeting. And uh, and so these are finding their these some of these outraged parents are finding their way to, I guess you'd say, social media viral nature. So you want to check out the first video from New York. This is the one that I'm most familiar with uh, because I shared it on my Twitter. And there's a lot to say about it. So let's check it out. Versus the current path they're headed down. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Grani. That concludes the special, um, the visitor speaking time. So I'll turn it over to yes, Superintendent's sir. report. Be respectful. You're elected representative to represent us. This isn't about you, Mark. You're not going to stand up here and do anything to me, asshole. Hey, stop! I am. 
I mean, you almost uh, did. They cut the mic there on purpose. You think because they didn't want to? I mean, if I were if I was running that camera, I would have believe me. I would have let that mic and camera keep rolling. But uh, I, I mean, I found a couple of other um, shots. One from the left, up closer. One from the right, up closer as well. And yeah, I mean, uh, you can see the school board member even in that video like three times, and even saying, "Come on, come on!" Like, like, what are you gonna do, bro? Come fight me, uh, type of attitude with with the parent and some people were like well why did the parent even start shouting like um you know you, here's the quote in the first quick. place right. yeah uh, yeah why were they saying uh you know, be respectful uh you know um here's here it is i have it on a tweet be respectful you're elected rep representative representing us uh this isn't about you bud and the school board member chimes back you're not going to stand up here and do anything to me a whole uh, yeah, asshole. And so people are wondering, like, what started all of this? And if you look into the Daily Wire article, they got a little bit more context about what happened. And you can kind of see it in some of the other videos as well. Is when that parent at the very beginning was walking off and finished, it apparently the school board member like was like waving him off or something and like seemed dismissive of the parents in the audience. And so one of the parents said, like, what is this? What, what are you doing that for? Like, and then she's responding by saying, like, why are you waving your hands like this? And uh, that's when the other parent in the red shirt said, you know, be respectful. So he was responding to the, I guess, body language and gestures. Uh, the school board member who, from what I can tell, is also a social studies teacher at a district-run school in New York. Um my other reaction to that is that dude had some hops and he jumped up from the floor to the stage when, after the school board member <laughs> called him out. <laughs> well, let's start by saying, of course, we don't know if there's a background of acrimony between these two people. Who knows the even fuller context, right? Uh, and yes, if you're in an elected position, I bet you sometimes get people in the audience yelling at you. I mean, the tone of the parents' response was an angry tone, even though he wasn't the first, at least, to curse in that excerpt you showed. It was the school board member who was the first to, to use a bad word, so to speak. But the tone was hostile to the school board member. That said, it just does, it's, it shows, it's, yeah, there, there's something, there's a bigger thing happening here, don't you think? First of all, lots of parents who probably never attended a school board meeting ever before because of COVID are now showing up to these school board meetings. Why? Because their schools were closed for a year. And they were being told by teachers unions and not always, sometimes just the district, that we can't possibly open while they're watching schools in Florida stay open and then <laughs> schools in Texas be open and schools elsewhere. But they were still being told we can't open here. And we'll talk later about a story that furthers, furthers this idea of a red red state, blue state divide uh, with well, respect to opening. But It looks like this particular uh, school board meeting, I think there was um, uh, some hostility because of uh, – I don't think it was about reopening. It looks like it was about uh, you know, mask mandates in the school, and it could be some CRT, critical race theory, pushback at the meeting as well. I didn't watch the entire meeting, but it looked like there was some uh, back and forth because of be, partially because of arguments about what's going on in the classroom. 
I didn't yeah, find I'm just using, I'm using uh, reopening, I guess, as a placeholder for all things COVID that have happened in the last year, not quite a year and a half, that weren't a lot of these parents were never at these school board meetings before, before yeah. before 2020, put it that way. And now they are. There's something's happening, and a lot of them are angry over all whether it's masks, whether it's reopening, whether it's uh three feet versus six feet versus social distance, you know, all of this stuff. Whether it's teachers' unions recalcitrance, whether it's whatever the things are, I think there are a lot of parents that are suddenly aware of school board meetings are a thing. We can go. We can make our points known. We don't have to take disrespect from the boards. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that parents in large numbers are going out and fighting back and making their voices heard this year. And we're seeing that in that video. Maybe you don't want to be shouting in that way and going up to the stage, but at least they're uh, showing up in large numbers uh, this past year. Um, I will say though, I think the better way to hold schools accountable instead of having to fight with them so much is just let me go somewhere else and let me vote with my feet to someone who actually does care about me and who's not going to try to challenge me to a fight when I tell them that they work for me. <laughs> I mean, I guess well, you, can as- get, you can get, you can get, um, corporations could do that too, I guess. But, the, but their, um, representatives, uh, employees would get fired for fighting with the customer. That's, that's the difference here. I As also I've said many times, once many times, one size fits all systems cause fights. If there were one size fits all diet across America, we would be fighting constantly about what we all have to eat. If it was a one size fits all housing plan in America, we would all be fighting about what kind of home we would all live in. If there was a one size fits all transportation rule in America, we'd all be fighting about what kind of car we should all have to, to get into. So, in this way, it's no different than any other one-size-fits-all system. There inherently are fights because people won't agree, but you're trying to force them all into one paradigm. Yep, and uh, the majority, and in some cases, a minority can uh, overtake uh, a, a school board election and force their views and what should be taught in the schools on everybody else. And that, you know, that's another argument for just letting us go our, our separate ways when you can have special interest groups figure out or, or control what, what everybody, and that might be why so many people are upset at these school board meetings because they feel like they're forced into a system that they don't real they, they can show up, but they don't really have the power to change these things. And maybe they're getting frustrated with the school board members doing what they want and what the unions might want, but not what, what the parents want. I found a, a couple, a little bit more of a background on that. In addition to that uh, school board member being a, social studies teacher at a nearby middle school. Uh, he also just lost a reelection on May 18th and it appears to be by nine votes. So he may have been frustrated about that too. I, <laughs> I found on a local news source, you know, there was three, six, nine people in the running. He had 1,271 votes, but only the top three would win. And the, the third place was 1,280 votes. So First thing that I that I wanted to cause is these, these aren't high turnout um, elections. You don't need to get a big portion of the population to win these things. And uh, yeah, it looks like he only lost by nine votes and did not get reelected. So a lot of people in the comments are saying, well, well, good. He, he shouldn't be reelected. And then others are saying, well, perhaps he's upset because he lost recently. Well, it's not just that uh, we've titled the show Parents Step Up to the Microphone. It's happening many other places. For example, a Colorado parent who was angered by something that's been called critical race theory in schools, and she stepped up to the microphone herself. 
When you talk about groups, it is collectivism, is separating children into groups. That is exactly what it is doing. And groups based on what? What we've heard from both hiring the Gemini group, which is also another thing that concerns me, is the groups are broken down into race, gender identity, sexual preference, and oppression. When we look at the Gemini group teaching, which I took time to watch the entire thing, it is even more disturbing. And this group was hired by this board. Because in that training, it talks about oppressors and oppressed. That is damaging to every group of children. First of all, some groups of children are thought of as being shamed for who they are. The others are taught that they are victims without the ability to further themselves and to look at the others as the enemies. We all know the, the Dr. King quote that has been shared, color of our skin versus the content of our character. He had a dream. This is a nightmare. It is a nightmare for our children and it needs to end now. The training also, by the way, divides basically educators and parents because in the training, it refers to parents as dissenters. We are not dissenters. We are the parents. It goes on to say and train educators to tell dissenters that this is simply the way we are going to educate your children. They are our children. We are the ones that have the moral authority over their education. We will not be marginalized. The board's job is to represent the stakeholders. When I looked at that screen up there, the stakeholders that were consulted before this policy was implemented does not list parents. Neither does the advisory committee. We are the stakeholders and we need to be included in this. Let me end by this. The job of the board is education. Right now, according to state proficiency tests, only 59% of Douglas County students are proficient in reading. Only 48% are proficient in math. That is the job of the school. The teaching of morality, teaching students to be kind, we can teach them to be kind. The rest of it belongs to the parents, not to social engineering in the schools. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, Ms. Flora. Kimi Houston, Jennifer Hallett. Less Woo. than proficient in math, and yet they're worried about teaching critical race theory. And here we have an example of another parent stepping forward. What do you think? Yeah, I think that was her main point, right? That if you can't even get the basics right, then why are you trying to get into all these other things that are far more complicated than just reading, writing, and arithmetic? Why don't you get those things right first? So uh, yeah, I agree with that. And it looks like uh, Fox News also covered uh, Deborah Flora. I actually just met her. I was just in, in Colorado Springs for the leadership program of the Rockies event. It was a nice event out there, and I actually got to meet her. I believe she sat next to me near uh, at one of the dinners uh, during that event in Colorado Springs. So mm -hmm. she's a talk she, show. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so then that, so you started with New York state and then we just moved to Colorado. Now let's go back East and, and look at Virginia. Now in this case, a teacher steps forward to the microphone and I don't actually have this woman's name yet, but I'm ready, ready to put her on the next hero list. <laughs> Real a hero. Teacher a teacher speaks, heroine or hero, a teacher speaks at the at a school board meeting in Virginia. Fairfax County public school teacher, and I'm going to give a message of encouragement to parents and teachers and students who are too afraid to come and speak forward. Parents, the longer that you wait and you don't hold your child's schools accountable, gives these guys more time to dictate what's best for your child's physical, mental, and emotional health. Don't be afraid to speak out for your kids because they are voiceless and they, and they rely on you. 
You should be afraid of them rooting for socialism by the time they get to middle school. Teachers, it may seem that our careers have come to a dead end, but I'm here to remind you, we don't work for the school board. We work to mold the next generation of well-rounded American patriots. So don't give up because it is up to us. Students, you are on the front lines of these indoctrination camps. Challenge the staff when you're presented with a ludicrous statement and do not allow anybody to tell you that you cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color or to hate yourself because of your skin color. Students, it is up to you to be the next generation of victims or victors. And finally, to the board, this isn't over and your policies are just as pathetic as making us wear masks. Nick Gossard, followed by Ryan. Cut off her microphone. How do you like that Ooh. move? Wow. I was trying huh? to find her name really quickly. I saw that uh, Real Clear Politics covered it, um, but I don't see her name. I guess they mostly just um, shared this tweet by Ian Pryor of, of the uh, of the video. Yeah, yeah. it's also uh, we found it. Choice Media. We found it on YouTube, and uh, but nevertheless, yes, uh, it's the content is what matters, and this is a teacher saying, you know denouncing socialism basically and saying no kid should either feel like they're a victim because of their skin color or that they are guilty of something because of their skin color. Uh, I don't know. It seems like a hard, hard to argue with message from where I'm coming from. Then again, mm -hmm. I guess I'm a straight white male. So what do I know? But anyway, that's, that's that teacher's point of view. Um, well, it's, it's good that it's, it's a multiple, multitude of views being represented at these school school board members uh, meetings it's it's not just parents coming and voicing these concerns you also have some some teachers voicing these concerns as well and you know parents could fear retaliation but i think uh, teachers might have an even stronger fear of retaliation they have to work in the system every day um so i don't think you see this as much coming i know Isn't i haven't seen as I mean, much coming from teachers yeah, this could be maybe a new maybe a new start to sort of teacher freedom, so to speak. And and we've long said school choice benefits teachers too. For teachers to be able to select different, not just locations of schools they could work at, but paradigms of education and have teachers choose between curricula and have teachers choose between management philosophies and all kinds of ways teachers could choose with more school choice. And so it's good. I know we're extrapolating a bit from what her direct message was, but nevertheless, uh, the more speeches like this I hear, the happier. And then just to kind of capital this off, you know, on the, the, in, in the catalog or folder under the subject of one size fits all systems cause fights that I was talking about a second ago, it, uh, let's get to North Carolina, where a school district meeting degenerated, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Corey, after you see it. So you come after me, Mr. Rose, I'm coming back after well, you, okay? okay? Really sure. I think it's, Madam, let's take a look. Hey, what kind of example do you think? Okay. Madam Chair, I would like to make a statement. You're going to talk to me about an example when you okay. talk about black lives don't matter. Don't talk to me about that when you're talking about why I feel the way that I do. Children out there, when they feel like 
our Don't kids. you ask. Okay. If we hey. can't Just get a along, moment. how do we expect our kids? Well, you, know, you, you should have never come in here with this bull crap bit if you want to get along. Getting along is acknowledging who I am as a person. Madam Chair, I make a motion we adjourn. Is there a second? Thank you. I'm second it. We're going to take an adjournment. Vote. Power for the vote. Do we need to go in conversation? No. I need a vote to adjourn. I need a vote to adjourn. All those in favor, please say aye. Uh, anyone opposed? We're going to move to closed session. Does he need to read the What are we doing? Hey, we're done. I don't know what we're doing. Okay. We're done. We're home. Yeah. Thank you. Dude, what happened? I hadn't seen that one yet. <laughs> one size fits all systems cause fights, Corey. That's that's my catchphrase. We shouldn't have to fight. We shouldn't have to fight with, with, with each other like this. I mean, yeah, if, if your catchphrase is you know, some people are looking at these videos though and they're saying no, this is what we need to do. We need to push back and fight at the school board meetings. And it's like, okay, yeah, uh, if if that's the system you're stuck in, but a better fight is to say, just let me go somewhere else. Because you can yell at people all day and they could even say, oh yeah, th th I agree with you and nothing's going to change in your child's school. It, you could convince the person sitting on the school board seat that you're right, or they'll pretend that, or that you could have them pretend that they agree with you, and then things won't change for another decade. And your your kids are already out of the system by then. It's yeah. not it's it's not the best way to to fix these problems. And and I sometimes, think you're right. It, sometimes the disagreements are honest disagreement. In other words, other times they're actually not honest. It's like some group wants more money for themselves, like say teachers unions, or they want more benefits from, they want to work fewer hours or something like that, or they want some sort of big payday to agree to do an extra week in the summer if the kids have missed a whole year of school or something. And it's really about them fighting for themselves again, rather than what's best for the kids. But other times, to your point, there can be disputes over what is actually best for kids between sincere individuals who both have differences of opinion along those lines. And yet they are loggerheads. And oftentimes there's no way to, you know, split the baby, so to speak. And they just have to fight. And, you know, not to mention these other personal disputes that come up. You're right. When you let people walk away and do what they want, you simplify all this. Every grocery bag has to have chicken and pasta. No, <laughs> I don't like chicken. That's evil. It has to be vegetarian only. Yes. Or 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 I'm okay with fish, but not chicken. Everybody has to have fish. No, they have to have. I mean, it's um, and it's okay to disagree about things like this. It's it's okay yeah. to go your separate ways and disagree. And people right. are going to disagree about how their children are educated. And because it's their children, they're going to get really worked up about it. And they're and and it might de devolve into fights like this at, at school board meetings. But I don't think that's the way forward to fix. I don't think the system is fixable in, in its current form. You have to allow people to vote with their feet and go somewhere else. That is the only way schools will be held accountable. And it's the only way we can match people's desires and and children's educational needs to the provider that works best. That's and just to elaborate on your example, sometimes one of those people is 
with arguing for chicken in the shopping bag is from the national chicken lobby. And they actually yeah, benefit from more chicken being in the bags. Other times, it's actually just a dispute over what's best for a kid to eat or something or people to eat. So anyway, all right, uh, so you, let's move on. So what do you, what do you want to do? Let's Yeah, let's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania okay, is yeah. a couple of, uh, I don't know if you've seen my back and forth. I have. Probably not a back and forth. It's just me responding to the things that Governor Wolf has been saying over the past couple of days in Pennsylvania. And part right, of that- Because they spend so little on schools, right? Because the governor, Governor Wolf has been telling me <laughs> Pennsylvania spends almost nothing on schools. Yeah, so to preface this conversation, I want to point out that the U.S. Census Bureau released new data for 2019 on per-people spending. The, the media was largely silent about this. It just came out a couple weeks ago, but the U.S. Census Bureau shows that public schools in the latest data that just came out in 2019 spent $15,656 per student per year. And this was a 5.8% unadjusted increase uh, from 2018. So if you adjust for inflation, I bet you that's about 3.8% real increase in uh, spending per student between 2018 and 2019, as, as um, noted by the U.S. Census Bureau data that just, that just came out. But uh, what I was talking about a second ago was that Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, who is a Democrat, made arguments yesterday in, in favor of having more state funding for K-12 education. And I think he did it in a really highly misleading way. And here's my tweet um, pointing out, here's a picture of him at that press conference or, or discussion about education funding. He's holding up a big sign that says Pennsylvania ranks 45th in school funding. We need to do better. So Bob, when you see a sign like that, what do you, what do you think that means? When someone's telling you that Pennsylvania ranks 45th in school funding, wouldn't you think that means like you're the 45th uh, you're, you're, near the bottom, you're near the bottom. I, at, if if I could just student. interrupt the flow for one second, I think something else that no one else ever says but me, which is this constant debate that every state needs to be in the top list, top few states. Yeah. No, by definition, there will always be yep. a 50th state in spending. And in the most <laughs> utopian world, if you let Bernie Sanders run all of education, I don't know, if you let the, the biggest, if you let the unions run all of education, there would still be a 50th and a 45th and a 40th in education spending. The idea that we can never be 40th because no one should be 40th is some sort of mental disorder. There will always be someone who's 40th. Yeah, anyway. you, can all, you can all spend between 90 and $100,000 per student per year, and you'll still say, you'll still have people holding the sign saying, oh, well, I'm the 45th, but you still, still spend say, a ton. Yes, isn't it terrible? We're 45th or 40th or whatever. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's idiotic logic, actually. And the press eats this up. They'll yeah. reprint this, like with this hand-wringing, you know, these crocodile tears and these, oh, isn't it awful? We're such, in, I mean, in fact, it makes sense. It ought to sort of correlate with cost of living in different states. So long ago, when I did an analysis of this, I, I, I had to find state-based cost of living uh, data against which to measure state-based education spending. 
per student. And even then it's complicated because the cost of living in New York City bears no resemblance to the cost of living in Oswego, New York. So within a state, there's such huge variety, uh, range in cost of living that it's even more complicated than I'm saying. But that's I'm just digressing for a second. But more importantly- The, the ranking's stupid, but it's not even yes. right. <laughs> it's not even right. Go it, ahead. It, it's not even right. And I'll tell you what, where he pulled this 45th number from. But look, here's the U.S. Census Bureau data that just came out, 2019. This is pretty uh, – these rankings are pretty similar over time. It's not like this year was an anomaly. But Pennsylvania spends over $21,000 per student in 2019, which is 35% higher than the national average. And if you rank the states, Pennsylvania is actually in sixth if you count D.C. as well. If you only count states, it's actually fifth. But if you count D.C. too, which is number one, over 33 $31,000 per student. Pennsylvania is actually the sixth highest state in total K through 12 education funding per student. If you don't believe me, here's the, the uh, chart from the U.S. Census Bureau. I have a link in my tweets, but you can see Pennsylvania number six to $21,206 per student, 35% higher than the national average. So how is he getting, so some people responded to this and said, oh, well maybe they're 50, 40, uh, 45th from the bottom. If you do it in the reverse order, you say they are 45th, but they're the 45th when it comes to the least amount of funding. But that's, that's, that's not that's not what he meant. And yeah. um, what's also interesting is that this reporter tweeted this out, too, and said and, and quotes the governor or paraphrases him saying that the, the governor says public school funding is not improved, which is not true either. Public school funding has increased each and every decade uh, over the last generation. Uh, you can see the, fun, the the numbers here adjusted for inflation already each and every year increases every decade. And from the Pennsylvania Department of Education, you can see every decade in, after adjusting for inflation has increased. Pennsylvania's increased inflation adjusted education spending per pupil in public schools by 73% since 1990. So they spend more and more money each year. That's not true. Everybody responded to this, um, this uh, reporter like, why is he not fact-checking this statement by the governor? Who knows? He wouldn't respond because he knew he was incorrect. Um, but what what Governor Wolf is actually doing here, and the way that he's getting 45, is that he's taking the state percentage of the total funding oh. and saying that Pennsylvania is 45th when you look at the the state percentage of the total funding, which is an absolutely absurd and meaningless metric. When so you're not even talking about contribution in raw dollars, not even but, raw dollars. If you look at raw dollars, Pennsylvania is in the top 20, not 45. Yeah. If you're just looking at raw dollars, but right. in local dollars, Pennsylvania is like number six or number five. And so overall, since local dollars are most of it, and then if you can count, Federal dollars in, included. The total funding per student in Pennsylvania is number is sixth in the nation if you count DC as well, fifth if you don't include DC. But but if this, let's do a thought experiment really quickly. Just imagine if Pennsylvania eliminate just said, I'm not taking any more federal funding. Oh, and let's by the way, let's eliminate all property taxes to make funding from local and federal sources zero. Well, at that point, state percentage of the total would be 100%. Governor Wolf would probably then have a sign saying that Pennsylvania is first in public school funding. No, he wouldn't. He would never do that because the argument here is that they just want more funding into the system. 
Right. According to his metric, they'd be first, but they'd be last as far as total funding per student ranked against all the states if they only used their yeah, state it, funding. It's clearly sophistry. It's clearly uh, it's it, it's it has so little credibility. Just to have I mean, first of all, you could even put why not even just put on the sign. You could, you know, you'd hope people wouldn't read it, but just to be halfway credible, you could have the sign to say, in state, in percentage of state contribution, Pennsylvania ranks 45. No. Nope. Like, right? You could at least do that. And maybe people wouldn't even think about it much. They'd just see 45th and be horrified or something. Yeah. But he does he not even didn't even bother to do that. Yeah, it would have been a little better than school funding to stay to say state funding. But right. even then, it's not true if you count state funding. He would right. have to say 45th in state share of total school funding, yes. <laughs> which is meaningless. And it's, it, 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 uh, it would still be misleading even if he put all those words on there because it's a meaningless metric. And he's sitting there calling for more funding from, this, from the government for schools right. when Pennsylvania is, is in the top 10 for, for school funding. What parent cares about their – local school districts percentage of revenue from state versus local like how many parents are going up to the microphone complaining about that uh we need to shift this percentage allocation between state and local i mean i guess it's happened probably in history but you don't i don't you don't hear that too often in terms of passionate comments well i mean i mean another example that just shows how absurd this is is pennsylvania's state share of school of total funding is about 37 percent arkansas state share, according to the Census Bureau, is about twice that, about 74%. But Arkansas spends, uh, Pennsylvania spends like fit, like 30 to 50% more per student than Arkansas. I, think, I believe it's in that range, but it's a lot higher than what Arkansas spends. Uh, you can- Again, higher that. cost of living. You can have That's a higher- So, so like, but like if, if you're like, you can hold up a sign. Would he hold hold up a sign saying that we're like top five if, if they did have lower per pupil funding and then a higher share? Of course. Not. Of course no, not. he, he would. Him. You caught him. <laughs> so caught him. that that's the story from Pennsylvania. And the related story is yes, two days ago, Pennsylvania has two pretty big expansions of school choice. They have Senate Bill One which is a huge expansion of their tax credit scholarship program, which would allow for a 25% escalator on the cap for donations to scholarship granting organizations each year. And they just passed both of these bills out of the Pennsylvania Senate Education Committee. Uh, the first one was a vote of six to five, Senate Bill 1. One Republican sided with the Democrats in voting against, but it still passed through the committee. And then the other was Senate Bill 733, an education savings account for students with special needs. Pennsylvania does not have any education savings accounts at the moment. And that passed seven to four at a committee, all Republicans in favor, all Democrats uh, opposing. The problem is Tom Wolf, who's, who's holding up the sign, uh, misleading the public about education funding, is expected to veto uh, those two bills that, that the Republicans are championing in, in Pennsylvania. Right. And I'm not sure if they have the numbers to override a veto. I would be surprised. I would be surprised. I don't think they do. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let me talk about, did you see the story in the 74 about red states and blue states? And we talk about this almost every show, but uh, you tweeted out, I think, some of the graphics from this story. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with comparing 
presidential vote in 2020 as a metric for political orientation of a state, which does oversimplify, of course, it basically divides everyone into two camps, but it's a way to look at it's a way to look at it uh, versus uh, compared to how many days schools were open on average in those states. Did you see that story? Yeah, I've got it pulled up right here. Um, and I, yeah, I did go. tweet about it. And this, you know, this is something that we've kind of known all along that the red states have been more in person and that uh, even after controlling for demographics in the area that um, uh, play, public school districts with, with more Trump voters from the 2020 election were much more likely to go uh, for in-person instruction. But this is this is this is a great new analysis because it's showing trends over time and it's showing how many days of instruction. It's not just one point in time whether the schools were open or not. And they found, sure. yeah, an additional 66 days of in-person instruction for red states relative to blue states. And then they showed how the, this changed over time right here. That line chart is my favorite. Yeah. If you can make that full, that's... Uh, yeah, I'll try to save it. Make that it one is the one that really shows it because it also does show over time there were changes. The pandemic got worse and, and then got a little better and then got worse again, et cetera. So there were changes over time. But, uh, you know, you might think by looking at that chart, look at all those blue states that were shut down. Gee, I guess they... We're handling COVID better because of all ah. the blue states shut down. In fact, the worst COVID states by per capita mortality rates from COVID anyway, worst in the country is New Jersey, where I sit right now, second worst, New York, third worst, Massachusetts, all blue states, all with lots of shutdowns. Um, so you can't claim that. And then I don't know if you also saw today, we don't have to bring it up, but there's a story about Mississippi uh, that was on the Choice Media Newswire about the, about school districts that were basically closed the entire school year, just the entire school year, not open for in-person oh. education at all through in Mississippi, which, you know, is a, a red state. But nevertheless, um, I, I had I had some kind of thoughts about this and I kind of wanted to rant about it a little bit. I don't know about you, but in the time I have spent in my life doing education policy work and sometimes going to conferences, other times just reading blog posts, I, I've been struck for a long time how some of the policy people um, are so dedicated to theory and, uh, and kind of, you know, uh, maybe wonkish analysis or nerdy number crunching or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, that you'll sit in, you know, you, you, you'll realize, I anyway, would realize that two thirds of American kids, eighth graders, are not reading at proficient levels. Two thirds of American eighth graders, not proficient in math. I will see that one out of five kids, not even graduating from high school, it feels to me like the building is on fire. And I would often sit and watch these presentations on how federal grant effectiveness could be improved with a different kind of monitoring or tracking method, or maybe someone would, I don't know, uh, suggest increased roles of standardized testing or diminished roles of standardized testing and how that might be implemented or something about, you know, magnet schools. Should there should there be more racial quotas or no, no magnet schools at all, or they, they'd be tinkering with the, with these kinds of theoretical concepts at conferences or online writing these detailed analyses. And I would think to myself, do these people not know that the house is on fire? Do they not know how many kids can't even read their own diplomas? The 80% that do graduate from high school. But then this year comes, and in this year you have schools completely shut down for a whole year. Oftentimes, the same people who would be so 
present themselves as caring so much about equity, for example, would see that black and brown kids, their schools were shut down way more than the white kids. And yet you would think if they were consistent, they would be the loudest champions to say, let's reopen in-person education right now. This is a disaster. And yet they weren't. And I was amazed. It's almost like a, a, a emperor has no clothes moment for me because I would think to, to myself, I see the stories from the Mississippi story to the stories about how many uh, you know, months of no of lost learning uh, have happened. And I think to myself, how do these people still sit around? And even after the closures, now they're talking about, I don't know, professional development evolution to have teachers talk about race relations in America in a different way that's more evolved. Like, and I think to myself, the building is still on fire. And now it's so obvious that the building's on fire. You have these parents at the school board meetings essentially saying the building's on fire. And I still note how weird it is that some people still kind of don't get that. Well, I'm glad the families are finally getting it. Uh, it took the nonsense of the past year for, for people to wake up in large numbers. And I'm glad that's happening because, look, the parents are going to be the driving force of change way more than the people um, doing analyses are going to be the driving force of change. The parents care more about what's what's going to happen. Their kids are in the schools and I think ultimately systemic change has to come from the bottom up from families fighting back. So I'm glad to see that families are finally fighting back. It, it can't just be people um, doing research studies and, and I do research studies myself, but it, it, it can't just be people like me doing research saying, you should care about this, you should care about this. I can provide you with a solution, but the families need to uh, ask for that solution and beg for it, for it to actually happening. So, so I'm, I'm glad this is happening in the States. We're seeing the school choice pushes all across the nation, the families fighting back in the school board meetings. I just hope that families, and I don't think families will, I hope that they never forget what happened over the past year. The teachers unions hope that families just forget what happened. They're trying to rebrand themselves as being champions of opening schools. If you look at the American Federation for Teachers, they're launching a seven-figure ad um, by to, to, to back school reopening. So you have the teachers unions trying to pretend. You see it all over Randy Weingarten's Twitter nonstop trying to say that, oh, yeah, um, you know, we're off. We've been fighting for school, for school reopenings since April 2020. That's not true, and everybody knows it. And it's because they understand, they're seeing the sea change happening. They're seeing the momentum and fire behind the backs of families. And I think they're terrified of what's to come. Families- yeah, they're playing to the people that aren't paying attention. I think that's the, it's a $5 million AFT union ad buy is just trying to hope that people that aren't paying attention will be swayed. Yep. And um, I think it's, it's, it's up to us and to parents to, not be fooled about this and to constantly remind the public that it, the teachers unions were the main obstacle in reopening the schools. The private schools were able to do it. Uh, places that had weaker teachers unions like Florida were much more likely to reopen right away their public schools and their private schools. And the teachers unions uh, had tons of political action over the last year and hypocrisy that was exposed fighting against reopening every step of the way and changing the reopening um, uh, goalposts every step of the way as well. And even influencing CSC, CDC guidance word for word to, to make it easier to keep schools closed so they can get 
more ransom payments from the federal government by holding kids' educations hostage. So don't forget, um, they want you to forget, uh, but we shouldn't be fooled and we should continue reminding everybody uh, the nonsense that happened over the past year. Uh, so did you get the graphic from USC that I sent on parents' reasons? There we are. Parents' reasons for not sending their child to in-person schooling. And, you know, jumping out, you can't, you can't help but see it jump out. 45% safer for child and family. Wow. Safety. I've heard safety mocked, by the way, by teachers' mm -hmm. unions as, as if that's a, a sort of irrational reason for a parent to make a school choice decision because that's it's not oh, academically it's, rooted it's, it's just you know sorry if uh, your juniors juniors getting uh, beat up every day that's that doesn't uh, that's not academics so why would that matter but um i think yeah, safety was number three too do not trust school to keep child safe 28 percent. so out of the top three two of them were related to safety and oh, yeah i, I think I think that's important to point out that, you know, the, the very bottom level of empowerment of families is to have the choice between in-person and remote, but we shouldn't stop there because of all these other issues that look, even when schools are open, a lot of families are saying, I don't like what you're teaching in the school. I don't like that you're failing my child and that they're not actually learning anything. And by the way, I don't want to send my kid into an environment where there might be gang activity or bullying and fights. Uh, which might make them uh, obviously unsafe. And so that's just the first step. We need to take the logic sequence a step further and say we should have the choice of in-person versus remote, but we should also have the choice of public, private, charter, homeschool, and the money should follow the child to wherever they're getting that education. Yeah. Uh, so the last story I have is the one about New York City. You know, for long, New York City was known for what was called the rubber rooms, where these teachers that were so terrible or so potentially dangerous to kids were showing up every day to a room where they would read a newspaper. It's called the rubber room. Well, Mayor Bloomberg came along and then finally ended the physical rubber room, but kind of made it such that there was a you know, virtual rubber room, meaning these people were couldn't be fired because of tenure rules. And it was so difficult to get rid of teachers. They were often not fired. They were just told not to come to a room every day. Well, according to this, it looks like Mayor de Blasio was going to end this, but not by firing the teachers that were deemed ineffective. No, of course not. He's reassigning <laughs> them to classrooms and to kids. That's Oof. his approach to teachers that were otherwise. Now, of course, they claim if there's an active investigation against the teacher, they won't be reassigned to kids. So fear not, parents. Uh, these oh, this no. thousand uh, teachers, over a thousand teachers that were paid to not teach in the past, they have now been, uh, most of them all redeployed. Uh, whether, who knows the various reasons, I'm sure in fairness, it was a variety of reasons the teachers yeah. were taken out of active duty, so to speak. Sometimes maybe just because a school closed down and their skills weren't really much wanted some, somewhere else mm -hmm. so much, but doesn't necessarily mean the teacher was, you know, doing something really bad. Uh, but at any rate, yes, they they are. Uh, it's not that they're that these teachers are being let go. Of course not. It's that they're being redeployed to be in front of kids. So that's the story from New York. It looked like from that same article that said 
they pointed out that three quarters of them were rated as satisfactory, which, right. you know, well, th- well, there's a quarter that weren't, and then, you know, satisfactory, yeah. what does that exactly. mean? Exactly. You know, Do you I know think how I, bad you've got to be to, in New York City public schools to not be satisfactory? And that's like 25% of them are not even that. But still, I think satisfactory is not exactly um, what What is that report, the, wid- the widget effect or whatever, where 99% of the teachers were rated as satisfactory? In, in the, public in the same schools where the majority of kids are failing tests, by the way, and show are not even basic proficiency levels, you know. So, yeah. So these places where teachers, yes, that's been a long, a long time kind of sad joke in American public education where the teachers are all rated extremely high and the kids mostly fail the tests. Oof. Yeah. So interesting story. I hadn't seen that one yet. And yeah, I mean obvious solution you're putting people that got fired for behavioral issues or underperformance back into the school system let me go somewhere else yeah yeah so i think that's that's all that's what we got okay everybody thanks for watching thanks Corey. yeah thank you so much i'll see you guys next week random assignment podcast